Good morning, church family. I'm so glad to have a church that values the word of God, where we can come together and hear the word prayed and read and sung and preached together. It is the word of God that ministers to God's people. So every Sunday is an opportunity to be encouraged and equipped in the commission of loving God, loving others, and making disciples of all nations. It's never just another Sunday. If you don't know me, my name is John O'Spear, and I get to serve around here as our student discipleship director for our 6th through 12th grade students. And today, on one of our family Sundays, we have our 1st through 5th grade students in the room. If you're 1st through 5th grade, raise your hand. Yeah, let's go. Let's give them a round of applause. Thanks for being here. So today, we are going to be addressing family discipleship and the family of God, the church. I know that some of you might, might have just checked out right there. You're thinking, I don't have a family. I'm not a parent. This doesn't apply to me. I want you to know that it doesn't matter how old or young you are or what life stage you are in. If you are a believer, you have a role in the family of God. If you're one of the first through fifth graders and you're a believer, you have a part to play in the family of God. If you are a sixth through twelfth grade student and you're a believer, you have a part to play in the family of God. You guys are not just the church for tomorrow. You are a part of the family of God today. And if you're, if you're an adult, whether young or old, whether you have kids or not, you have a part to play in the family of God. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Psalm 78. Psalm 78. And the big idea for today, if you're taking notes, the big idea is this. Every believer is responsible for training the next generation to know, follow, and treasure the Lord. Every believer is responsible for training the next generation to know, follow, and treasure the Lord. It does not take long to look at our current generation, our current culture, and be concerned for the next generation. LifeWay Christian Resources recently did a study and found that 66% of, of students who were active in the church during high school no longer remained active in the church after the ages of 18 to 22. Gen Z is reported to be the most depressed, most anxious, most fearful, and most suicidal generation we have seen. But could it be that maybe, just maybe, that mental health crisis that we see, this, the gender identity crisis that we see, could it be that it is really a spiritual health crisis? Could it be that as parents, we have neglected to intentionally show the beauty of Christ through the word to our children? Could it be that as churches today, we have traded discipleship of our children and students for entertainment and seeker-driven programs and events? Could it be that as churches today, we have forgotten why we exist to glorify God and enjoy Him and make disciples of all nations? These are weighty questions, I know, which is why I want to submit to you today that every believer is responsible for training the next generation to know, follow, and treasure the Lord. But before we get to our text, let me pray for us. 
Heavenly Father, you are gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. I thank you for the church and the gift that it is where we can come together centered on your word, founded on your word, and hear your word proclaimed through song and through children, through middle-aged people, through older, wiser saints in the faith. We can be encouraged together as one body, as one family of God. God, I thank you for your word that we do not have to wonder who you are and what you've done and how we are to worship you. You have given us your word and your word is sufficient to make us wise for salvation in Christ. God, we are desperate for you to pierce to our heart, pierce to our soul through your word today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, Psalm 78, 1 through 8. Follow along as I read. This is the word of the Lord. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell the coming generation of the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast. So today we are going to see two truths, oh, whose spirit was not faithful to God. I saw you guys were still looking at the text. Thank you for that. Uh, today we're going to see two truths from the text, the charge to tell the coming generation of the glory of God through the word of God. And then the purpose, that they might set their hope in God. But before we get there, before we dive deeper, we must know the context of our passage within the book of Psalms and within the psalm itself. In the beginning of the book of Psalms, Psalm 1 and 2, chapters 1 and 2, introduce the purpose and themes for the book, which show the importance of meditation on the words of God that tell us the works of God which lead us to trust in the promised Messiah, the king of the line of David, which we know as... Okay, let's try that again. Sunday school answer. So the Messiah, the king from the line of David, who we know as... Jesus. Jesus. Yes, that's right. Jesus the Christ. The book of Psalms is meant to bring delight for those who trust in the Lord as the Psalms provide examples of how God has worked in the past to point forward to how he will continue to work and be faithful to us in the future. And Psalm 78 does just that. It shows us how God has worked in the past and brings us hope for the future for those who trust in him. As you look at Psalm 78, you can see that it is a longer psalm. It takes a few pages, 72 verses, and it gives examples of Israel's unfaithfulness, God's faithfulness, and it urges us as the reader to not forget the works and words of God, but to tell the coming generation that they might hope in God. So today we're going to focus on the first eight verses, but just so we can be on the same page with the content of this particular psalm, 
I want to share with you some key phrases. They'll be on the screen. You can read along with me. Follow along with me. He, the Lord, divided the sea. They, Israel, forgot his works and wonders. He led them with a cloud and fiery light. They, sit, they sinned still more against him, rebelling against the Most High. They tested God in their heart. He rained, he rained down manna to eat. In spite of this, they still sinned. Despite his wonders, they did not believe. He, being compassionate, atoned for their iniquity. He performed his signs in Egypt. They did not remember his power. He brought them to his holy land. They tested and rebelled against the Most High and turned away like their fathers. He utterly rejected Israel, but he sent a king to shepherd them. Psalm 78 retells the rhythmic history of Israel. Rebellion and redemption, sin and forgiveness, wrath and mercy. It tells us the story of how Israel continually broke God's covenant while God constantly remained faithful. And it points forward to the time when a new king from the line of David will rule and shepherd the people of God. So with a big picture of Psalms in mind and the big picture of Psalm 78 in mind, now we can turn to the first eight verses. From verses one through six, we learn the charge. The charge, tell the coming generation of the glory of God through the word of God. Tell the coming generation of the glory of God from the word of God. If you notice in verse one, it starts with, give ear, O my people. So I need a little crowd participation here. When you hear the phrase, just do it, what comes to mind? Nike, that's right. You guys right here, you guys are on it. When you guys hear, like a good neighbor, what comes to mind? State Farm, that's right. Or Ben Bear, thank you for your service. <laughs> Uh, when you hear the phrase, the breakfast of champions, what comes to mind? Wheaties. Someone said Cheerios or Lucky Charms. Now it's Wheaties. Wheaties. Does anyone actually eat Wheaties anymore? One guy. Okay, I'm sorry for you, brother. Um, I'll be praying for you. Um, so in the same way, the phrase, give ear, O my people, is meant to bring to mind one of the most important charges given in Scripture, which is in Deuteronomy 6, 4, which starts, hear, O Israel. Hear, O Israel, and in Psalm 78, give ear, O my people. The same kind of phrase. And in Deuteronomy 6, 4, there's a charge to the people of Israel and parents in particular to teach their children to love the Lord our God. All Scripture is necessary and important. But when the biblical authors say, pay attention to this, give attention to this, listen to what I'm about to say, we would be wise to hear and pay attention to what is about to be said. So in verses two through three, the psalmist describes what is about to be said as a parable and a dark saying from of old. And the content of the majority of the psalm, as we, as we just saw, is the history of Israel, which is dominated by their unfaithfulness and rebellion, contrasted with the covenant loyalty of the Lord. So it is parabolic in the sense that it shows how the past images of Israel point to the future reality and call them to trust in the Lord. The psalmist goes on to say that these teachings are things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. In verse 4, the psalmist says, We will not hide it from their children, but tell to the coming generation. This means that receiving the word of the Lord, knowing 
who God is and what he has done bears a certain weight and responsibility to tell others, namely the coming generation. So what is the content of what's being shared? It says, the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. In verse 5, the psalmist further describes it as a testimony in Jacob and a law in Israel. So the content of what is being shared with the coming generation is not random stories for moralistic principles to make our kids better, but the word of God which brings wisdom for salvation for those in Christ. It is the word of God that we teach and train the next generation. The word of God tells the people of God the works of God for the glory of God. The word of God tells the people of God the works of God all for the glory of God. God has given us a book written by his chosen people through the Holy Spirit so that we can know and worship the God of the universe who created us and knows us and wants a relationship with us. It is God's word that we are to teach the next generation. But it's not just about the next generation. God's purpose is so much greater than that. In verses four through six, we, know, we can notice that there are four generations seen in this text. It says, their fathers have told their children, the current generation of the psalmist, so that their children, the grandchildren, could teach it to their children, great-grandchildren. The mission is so much bigger than just ourselves. One of the ways God has designed getting his message of salvation to the nations is through generations teaching generations, plural, about the words and works of God. The Lord spoke to the Lord spoke to uh, the people of Israel through Moses to give the same command in the book of Deuteronomy. You can follow along on the screen. Deuteronomy 4, 9. Only take care and keep your, sil- keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 7 also says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. So with both of these passages and Psalm 78, there are two groups of people being addressed. The congregation, all Israel, and parents in particular. And I would submit to you today that these are the two primary institutions that God has ordained to make disciples of the next generation and in the nations the family of God, the church, and the immediate family. So with the immediate family, God commissions parents to make their home the primary place of discipleship for their children. God commissions parents to make their home the primary place of discipleship of children. Parents have the primary responsibility to teach and train children to, and youth to obey all that the Lord has commanded, namely, And most importantly, to love the Lord our God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their strength, and with all their mind. In the book of Judges, we see what happens when this command is not taken seriously, when it is not listened to. We see a generation after Joshua, who came after Moses, described as another generation after them who did not know the the Lord or the work he had done in Israel. 
The book of Judges says a repeated phrase, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That kind of sounds like our current culture. Everyone doing what is right in their own eyes. There is no sense of morality. There is no sense of authority. Truth is relative, but we must teach the next generation that God's word is our authority. Also in the book of Judges, it says that they abandoned the Lord and the God of their fathers and that as a result, the Lord was against them just as the Lord had warned. The generation who heard and knew the responsibility to tell the next generation did not tell the next generation. You and I, however, we get the chance to do what they did not. Some of my favorite childhood memories growing up uh, are when my mom would, make, would wake my siblings and I up and we would open up our hymn books and we'd all choose a hymn and we'd read a Bible story together. And I can tell you, back then, in those moments, there was nothing in me that wanted to be up that early and singing a song and hearing a Bible story. I remember uh, I would be like crying like, nothing but the blood of Jesus. <laughs> it, those tears were not because I was just emotionally into the worship of our God. It was because I just wanted to lay down and sleep. But looking back at those times, those are some of my favorite memories. And the foundation of who, of who I understand God to be from his word started from those moments of my mom being faithful to teach me the word. So parents, you are the primary disciplers of your children. If our children must be taught how to talk, how to walk, how to interact with others, how to have manners, how to read, how to ride a bike, how to drive a car, how much more do our children and, and teens need to be taught how to know and love the Lord our God? I'm not saying that your life should revolve around your kids, but I am saying that the heart of your home should primarily be that of discipling your children and teens. As you know, the life of a parent can quickly become consumed by so many good things that there's little time left for what is most important. But we must not trade the greater things for lesser things. To help drive home the significance of your role as parents, I want to present a few thought-provoking questions from a book I've been reading on family discipleship. What will it profit a child to be an accomplished musician but spend his life as a fool? What will it benefit a child to have all the friends in the world, even well-behaved friends, good influences, but have no friend in Jesus on Judgment Day? What will it benefit a child who makes it to the national championship on his way to destruction? What, will it, what good will it do for a child to marry well, but never sit at the marriage feast of the Lamb of God? And lastly, what will it profit a child to gain the whole world and lose his soul? It's not that sports, music, and friends, and things like that are wrong, but if our lives are shaped around them and there's no time for anything of the Lord, there's no time for anything of value, eternal value, we might need to reprioritize our lives. The next generation will either be taught the glorious deeds and the wonderful works of the Lord, or they will be taught the lies of the world through, their, through 
technology, through social media, through bad influences, and with the average time for kids being on devices of six to eight hours per day, you can be sure that they are getting a plethora of lies already in their hearts, in their brains, in their minds constantly. There is no neutral ground here. And you and I, we make time for what we care about. So we must ask ourselves, are our lives marked by pointing our children and teens to the Lord? Or are we too busy with lesser things? And children and teens, first through fifth graders, sixth through twelfth graders, you guys have a role in this. You can ask your parents and encourage them to open God's word together as a family. You can ask your parents, how have you seen God's faithfulness in your life? Or better yet, how is God teaching you through the word? I want to know God through the word. What is he teaching you? You guys have a role to play in that. You can set the culture of your home as a child by setting the example in love, in speech, and in your conduct. So hopefully by now we are seeing the importance of family discipleship, but we might have some initial objections, such as, I just can't disciple my child because I have never been discipled myself. Or I'm just not a teacher. I'm just not gifted in that. I don't know the Bible and I can't answer my kids' questions. My kids won't listen to me. It's too late. I should have started when they were kids and now they're teenagers and they're just too far gone. Or that's the job of the youth pastor. We pay him for that, right? Or, I'm too busy providing for my kids. I bring them to church. Isn't that good enough? Or, there could be reasons such as broken families, divorce, single-parent homes for a variety of reasons. And this is where the church, the family of God, comes in to encourage and equip you for the task. So the family of God. God commissions the local church to equip the saints for the work of ministry which includes multi-generational discipleship. God commissions the local church to equip the saints for the work of ministry, which includes multi-generational discipleship. If you've been checked out so far because you don't have kids or your kids are already grown, now is a good time to tune back in because whether you are single or married, young or old, male or female, rich or poor, working or retired, if you are a blood-bought believer in Christ, you have a role to play in teaching the next generation through the family of God, the local church. You are a part of the family of God. This means that together we come alongside parents to encourage and equip them to know and love God for themselves and also bear the weight of spiritual responsibility by teaching and training the next generation, teaching their children through the means of the local church. As faithful brothers and sisters, we can help other people's children within the church. We can point them to Christ by teaching them the word. This is not just the task of church leaders. This is the task of every member of the body of Christ, the family of God. When I look around this room, I'm reminded of many people within this church. I grew up in this church. I grew up coming to this this student ministry here at Gospel City. And when I look around in this room, 
I'm, I'm reminded of how many people have invested in me as a young man. Ben and Laura Bear, Nathan and Barbara Scroggins, Brett and Erica Magnuson, Tyler Downing, Tyler Holder, Darren and Chrissy Green. The list could go on and on. But the family of God, the church, has invested in me. Why? Because they believe and they have the conviction of teaching and training the next, <laughs> the next generation to know and love God. And I would not be here if it were not for this church and this family of God. <laughs> so people from all different walks of life in different seasons have been the family of God to me and made an impact for Christ in my life. Discipling the next generation is a community undertaking. It takes a village to train the next generation to know and love God. And that village is the church, the family of God. God has called both the church and the home to raise up the next generations to know, follow, and treasure the Lord. So in the discipleship of the next generation, parents are primary and necessary, but not sufficient. The church is necessary, but not sufficient. Both come together as the unified body of Christ, the family of God, to equip and encourage one another to teach and train the next generation. So how does Gospel City specifically equip the family of God and immediate families to disciple the next generation? Apart from the corporate gathering, what we are doing on Sunday morning each and every Sunday we equip through men's and women's Bible studies where there is teaching and training on how to rightly interpret and then rightly apply God's word so that it can be shared with those around us. Through mixed small groups where God's word is opened and we bear with one another and encourage one another and do life together in Christian community. Through core scripture and core doctrine classes where we can see the rich unified story of how of God's word pointing to Christ and learn how the theological convictions of sound doctrine breathe life into our weary souls and help us to know and love God well. Through children's discipleship each Sunday, where the children gather on Sunday mornings and worship the Lord and hear age-appropriate teaching and do activities to understand the rich and beautiful, deep truths of God in a helpful and simple way. And then parents are sent a discipleship guide so you can follow up with your children what they learned in children's ministry and you can have word-centered, Christ-centered conversations with your children. Through student discipleship, where students are trained to know God through the word and apply God's word to them, to their life personally and individually. And where they learn how to prayerfully speak God's word to their friends and family. Through student discipleship, gospel doctrine, right understanding of who God is and what he has done in Christ, creates a gospel culture where students and leaders are loving one another. And there's a grace-filled, forgiving community where we are bearing one, another, one another's burdens and caring for one another and praying for one another and doing life together. This fall, I'm so excited for our student ministry because we are going to go through the book of Philippians. And the book of Philippians, if you haven't read it recently, it is so Christ-exalting and gospel-centered and application-oriented. 
I'm excited because our adult student discipleship leaders for our small groups, they're not just discussion facilitators. They're not just reading questions and then saying, checking a box and saying, I did my part, I'm good with the next generation. Our leaders are teaching and training and modeling and mentoring our students in their small groups so that they can know and love the God of the universe as revealed in scripture. I'm so eager for this ministry year as we hold God's word high and we try to faithfully minister God's word to one another. So with studies, with classes, with groups, with children's and student discipleship, each of these outlets for equipping through the church are not just for our own benefit. We do not come just to consume, but to be a contributor to the mission so that the word of God can go into our homes, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our communities. We are tasked with the charge of telling the nations of the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and his wondrous works. And it starts with the family of God and immediate families coming together and teaching the next generation the word of God. So you and I, whether you have kids or whether you do not, we are not just consumers but contributors to the mission so the charge is to tell the coming generation of the glory of God from the word of God. This is done through the family of God, the church, and immediate families, equipping and encouraging one another for the task. But why? To what, excuse me, to what end? This brings us to our purpose. So point number two, the purpose, that they might set their hope in God. That they might set their hope in God. Look at verse seven. It says this that they should put their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Hoping in God entails knowing, following, and treasuring him as Lord. But before we continue talking about our children and teens setting their hope in God and have our arms crossed towards the setbacks of Gen Z, we must point the finger back at ourselves and ask the question, do I have a saving faith in God through Christ? Does my life point to the fact that I delight in the Lord above all else? The first question in the New City Catechism, written by Tim Keller, which is a resource meant for parents and teachers to train the next generation of the deep, rich, beautiful truths of God in a simple way. The first question of the Catechism says this, what is our only hope in life and death? And the answer, so the kids would respond, the children would respond, the teens would respond, that we are not our own, but belong body and soul, both in life and death, to God and to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. So we need to genuinely ask ourselves if this is true of us. Is this our only hope? If not, then we cannot genuinely expect the next generation to set their hope in God. Here's the thing. You cannot give what you do not have. You cannot teach what you do not know. You cannot model love for something and someone you do not love for yourself. Our world pressures us to prioritize anything and everything except that, that which will truly satisfy. But there is no greater 
joy in this life or the next than being reconciled to Christ as our only hope. Psalm 16, says this, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. As we experience this joy in God, as we treasure him through the word, our joy will overflow into the discipleship of our children and teens in our home and in our church. The next generation will be best served by parents and church members who have a joy-filled, contagious worship of the Lord. The greatest gift you can give to your kids is not that you buy them a nice car or save up for a college fund or get them on the best high school club sports team. The greatest gift you can give your kids is for them to see you delight your soul in the triune God. The greatest gift you can give to your kids is for them to see you delight your soul in the triune God. The greatest legacy you can leave when you are on your deathbed is not anything of this world, but to help them see that their only hope in life and death is God in Christ Jesus. So what's at stake? What's at stake if we don't give ear to this passage? What will go wrong? Verse 8 says this, And that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Psalm 78 shows us that there are only two options. We will either tell the next generations of the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might, or we will, leave that, we will keep those truths to ourselves and neglect to disciple and train the next generation. Those are our only two options. And every generation, as we can see from Scripture, every generation needs to be taught the Word of God. Every generation is only one generation from forgetting and forgetting the works and deeds of the Lord. Until our children hear and know and see the glory of God through His Word and through our lives as a personal testimony, they probably won't be, they probably won't be driven to set their hope in God. So where do we go from here? What do we do? What is next? You and I, as members of the same local family of God, seeking to disciple the next generation, must delight our souls in the Lord, living as he intended us to live, and zealously worshiping the Lord with our whole lives. What this looks like is a fervor and diligence born out of a passion for God's own glory. It is the result of a heart on fire for the glory of God that is uncontainable and spills out in the zealous discipleship of the next generation. Our teaching and training of the next generation cannot be for the purpose of simple behavior modification or controlling our kids and getting them to do what we want or helping our kids flourish as the world defines flourishing. These are man-centered purposes. And if we do not have a God-centered approach to the discipleship of the next generation, we will inevitably orient the teaching and training of the next generation back to ourselves. So it must be geared towards a heart of joy-filled worship of the Lord. 
our training of the next generation in our homes and in our church should be driven by a worshipful heart that delights in the Lord as our greatest treasure and as our only hope, all for the glory of God in the next generation. So now you might be thinking, okay, time out, you lost me there. How does the glory of God relate to the discipleship of our children through our homes and through our churches? Listen to these passages about the glory of God and the mission of salvation. Isaiah 43, 6 through 7. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory. Isaiah 48, 11. For my own sake, for my own sake, I will do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. Ezekiel 36, 22 through 23, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name and the nations will know that I am the Lord. Psalm 106, six through seven, our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works, but rebelled by the sea, at the Red Sea. Yet he saved them for his name's sake. That he, may, that he might make known his mighty power. And in the end, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. And every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. From the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be, will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. So the joyful pursuit of the discipleship of the next generation must be rooted in God's zeal for God's glory. The ultimate reason, reason for devoting ourselves to the discipleship of the next generation is for the glory of God. That's why we and our children exist. In the Westminster Catechism, the first question, what is the chief end of man? What is our purpose? Why do we exist on this earth? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. That is the reason we exist. So if our passions are conformed to God's passions, and if our efforts are aligned with God's purposes, then the aim of our discipleship will be the glory of God so that his greatness and his worth will be known throughout the earth and throughout the next generations. When we rightly emphasize God's glory when declaring his glorious deeds, the natural response is a heart of worship. The proclamation of God's works through God's word in a God-glorifying way inspires all people to worship God and his glory and their joy in him. So we have a charge and we have a purpose. Tell the coming generation of the glorious deeds of the Lord through the words of God so that they might set their hope in God. It starts with you and it starts with me. If we pray earnestly for the salvation, for, the, for zeal, for the discipleship of the next generation, for the glory of God, we can wonder and hope. Think back to the statistics that we talked about uh, when we started. It is good to wonder about the next generation, to think soberly about what is ahead for our children. But we don't have to wonder in fear. We don't have to wonder if our efforts will be in vain. We can set our hope in God, trusting in his promises, in his goodness, and his sovereign will. And if we're zealous and resolved to do what he has instructed, 
if we're hoping in a glorious God, then we can wonder what kind of work of discipleship the Lord will be pleased to do in our hearts, in our homes, in our church, in our communities, and beyond in the next generations. So every believer is responsible to train the next generation to know, follow, and treasure the Lord. It starts with you, and it starts with me. From reading through the prayer requests each week, I know that there are many, many of you, parents, families, brothers, sisters, friends, who are weary and burdened for the salvation of your loved ones. Just know that you are not alone. As a staff, we pray for you each and every week. And for some of you parents, you're feeling that the task of discipling your kids is just too much to bear. You're overwhelmed. You're just trying to keep your kids alive. You're burned out. Know that God is not expecting you to be perfect. Jesus already lived the perfect life for you in your place as a substitute for your sins. The Lord sees you. He hears you. He is with you and you can trust him. You don't have to be perfect, and you won't be. But all of us, as the family of God, are called to be faithful, to teach and train the next generation of the glory of God through the Word of God, so that they might set their hope in God. So to end today, we are going to practice being the family of God and not simply talking about it. It might be uncomfortable, might get a little weird, But in a minute, if you are a parent and you are willing to acknowledge that you need the encouragement of the body of Christ in the discipleship of your children and teens, I'm going to ask you to stand. And then as the family of God, we are going to come around you and pray for you. So for everyone else, when you see someone standing, gather around them, lay hands on them, be bold and just start praying over them. Encourage them to trust in the Lord, to delight their souls in Him. And that as an overflow of their delight in the Lord, that they would declare the glorious deeds and the wonderful works of the Lord to their children and to their teens. The church is not a place to pretend to have it all together, but it is a place for those who are humble and willing to admit that we don't have it all together and we need help. One of the purposes, one of the primary purposes God has gifted us with the local church, the body, the family of God, is so that we can pray for one another and encourage one another and equip one another for the task. None of us are sufficient, but with the Lord, all things are possible. If you are a parent, there is no shame in needing prayer and encouragement. So if you are a parent and right now you're thinking, nah, I'm not going to stand. That's embarrassing. My kids are here. Then they'll know that I need help. Then they'll know that I'm not a perfect parent. Newsflash, they already know you're not a perfect parent. It's not embarrassing. This isn't a time for shame. This is a time for the family of God to come around you and build you up in the spirit through the word. So if you are a parent and you need prayer, if you need encouragement, I'm going to ask you to stand. Stand right now. If you need help, if you need prayer, stand. 
if you are willing to admit that you need the prayer of the saints, stand right now. And for those of us who are, who are seeing these parents, these families, stand up right now, gather around them. For the next five minutes, let's fill this room with faith-filled prayers to the Lord. Lift them up, be bold, just start praying over them, lay our hands on them. For the next five minutes, let's pray for our parents and for our children for the next generation.